0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: It's Tuesday the 3rd of March. I'm Andy Brassel. She's Jules Breach. And this is Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily.
2: Liverpool only need
1: 12 points to win the title. They will still get them. But this defeat at the hands of the Hornets will sting all right. This week, is finally over. Liverpool's unbeaten run in the Premier League has finished. So what implications does this have for their current state of form and for them going forward as they try and make all their dreams come true? Also, I've been over in Germany for the weekend, so we'll be talking about fan protests and how far is too far. I'm not going to ask you how your weekend was, Jules, because, um, well, firstly... That's rude. It's, it's the game, <laughs> and secondly, we've been we we had something going about on our, on our WhatsApp group, which had redubbed Brighton versus Palace El Gatwicko which yeah. I, I don't think we can promote in any way, shape or form.
2: Absolutely not. I'm not having it being called El Gatwicko, the M23 Derby, the A23 Derby, all of that. It's all a bunch of rubbish. It's just a rivalry between two teams that over the years have grown to hate each other. And on Saturday, I was not a very happy girl. But yes. what I, what the only kind of blessing is that it was on leap year. So I'm kind of pretending it never happened. I'm pretending that Saturday, the 29th of February didn't exist. And luckily, I don't need to be reminded of it. For another four years. Yeah, That, that
1: is true. For the next <laughs> three years, Palace can't do that thing on this day last Literally, year. Literally,
2: exactly. They really can't. And the best thing is, Wilfred Zaha didn't score. So even though we lost the game, and even though I was in a very bad mood for quite a few hours afterwards, the one saving grace is that when Wilfred Zaha was through on goal, he hit the post. And it was actually quite amusing. So <laughs> that's the only thing I can take away from the game. Yeah, I've really gutted about the result. But it wasn't the biggest game of the weekend. It wasn't the biggest surprise of the weekend. Not
1: the biggest defeat of the weekend. It
2: wasn't either. And and that's one thing I can be happy about is that we weren't the centre of attention. Obviously, Liverpool losing to Watford. What a surprise that was.
1: Well, When, when you're in Germany and something like that's happening... You're like, what is happening to the country while well, I'm away? It's popping up on your phone. And you're like, does, does the score app not work properly outside the UK? It's very unusual and um, an incredible performance by Watford. I mean, let's let's talk about the Liverpool side of it first, um, because people talking about it as if Arsenal have been saved and it's this enormous letdown for uh, Liverpool. They've still only dropped five points this season, which is absolutely phenomenal by any stretch of the imagination and also i kind of think it's quite cool to lose one game because i equate best ever club sides especially when with respect to liverpool to 87 88 liverpool who did lose a a, a league game that season i mean they're still on for over 100 points to beat a premier league record they're still going to win the title they're still favorites for the the champions league i would argue notwithstanding that pretty difficult second leg with Atletico Madrid I still think they will will get that done so you know everyone has a bad game and you know they have been relentlessly consistent so to an extent I can understand why people react hugely to it There is absolutely nothing to panic about here, is there?
2: There's nothing to panic about. Liverpool just had a bad day at the office for me against Watford. That's not taking anything away from Watford's performance because I thought they were absolutely excellent. For me, this was not about Liverpool really. And obviously, because they have been so sensational this weekend, because there was so much hype around whether they could go the season unbeaten and become the new Invincibles and how much more that would mean to them to, to win the title finally and go unbeaten, how incredible that would be. Despite all that, I don't think Liverpool come the end of the season when they do win the Premier League will even care that they haven't gone the season unbeaten. No, it's going to be I'm one of those. No, they're not even going to be fussed about that. And I mean,
1: these sort of things, they are basically a statistical anomaly in, yeah. in whatever sport. I mean, it's like when, you know, that great Golden State Warriors side back in 2016, they beat the record for regular season wins and they didn't go on and win the title. Yeah. So essentially, it meant absolutely nothing. It is all about the trophies. It's always about the trophies and all the rest is just Blah. It's extra, it.
2: isn't it? And yeah. and, and it, obviously it would be... It's a footnote. Of course, Liverpool fans would love it if they could say they've gone the whole season unbeaten. But for the players, I don't think it's as important as maybe the fans would have quite liked it to happen just because it would be an extra thing. It would be something else to say. It would be something else to hold on to. It would be another record. But all of those mm. records, we've, we've heard Jurgen Klopp and we've heard Virgil van Dijk and the other Liverpool players saying throughout the season, they're not focusing on the records. They're just taking each game by game and just trying to win every single one and get all three points in every single game and you know up until the weekend they pretty much did that other than one game when they dropped two points and drew a match so it's happened now they've lost the game but for me even though the hype has been around Liverpool finally losing a game this season for me this was all about Watford they were brilliant. They were absolutely excellent. And the way they played against Liverpool is the way teams that are fighting for survival in the Premier League should be playing at this stage of the season where every single point counts and every single match matters so much. Because Watford set up in the game with the perfect game plan. They started with so much intensity, Andy, and they just took Mm. the game to Liverpool. They didn't give them any space. They defended so well. And the fact that we can sit here now a couple of days later and say that Liverpool's front three weren't in the game I think they only had one shot on target for the whole match that's insane when we consider Liverpool's front three to be one of the best three front three in world football right now and then defensively which is something that Liverpool have kind of prided themselves on this Mm. season how good defensively they can be with Virgil van Dijk at the back they were bullied. That for...
1: third goal was shambolic. They, they looked as if they'd had enough, really, didn't they? As you say. And um, I think especially when you, you look at Watford, the fact that they've had that very poor recent run of form because after the initial bump under Nigel Pearson, too many people thought they're safe already. I, I don't for a minute think that was the sensation within the club. But certainly from the outside, people thought, oh, yeah, yeah they're, they're showing they could do what we thought they might be able to do with the right leadership they're safe and that was never the case Um, you know this relegation battle is very much alive and given their start to the season that's all they can ask for incidentally but you know not everything went right for them. You think of De La getting injured in the yeah. first half, mm. um, and he'd
2: look pretty sharp before that injury as well yeah, a-
1: absolutely, and it's a sort of big game he he relishes He's a big club big game pl- sort of player really isn't he so for for them to go on from there and really like force their personality on 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 the game, I thought was really, really impressive um
2: how good was Ismail Assar as well? Oh, brilliant. Just coming back into the team as well, mm. having been injured. And I think he came on as a substitute in the game previous, but this was his first start in a while. And I just thought he was excellent.
1: He's had a very weird first season because, you know, that injury that kept him out at the start. And by the time he's in the team, they're already bottom and struggling. Um, and, you know, you want something different out of that sort of player when you're struggling as opposed to when you're in the top half of the table. And that's always what he's been used to at Ren. He's not; he's never been battling relegation at Rennes. So um, it's, it's been a bit of an adjustment for him, I think. Um, but it's interesting. He, he spoke at length to Salih Omane, didn't he? His, his compatriot. And um, Mane said a, a, a while back about, oh, he's shy, isn't he? He needs to come out of himself a little bit. And you know, they're better players than Ismail Assar, who've... who've struggled really badly in their first season in the Premier League so it's nothing to be ashamed of and when he's hit the bits where he's played well he's played so well so well he's, he's going to be a massive difference maker for them
2: absolutely and and he though he's come back into the team exactly when Watford need him and, and mm. sitting here as a Brighton fan especially off the back of defeat at the weekend and we are now right down there in it I mean we have been anyway but It feels even more so after the weekend's results, especially with Norwich picking up a win on Friday night. just made everything a little bit closer down the bottom Mm. and made everything feel a lot more real. But sitting here as a Brighton fan, I'm jealous of Watford's performance at the weekend. Watching them just play with all of that kind of fire. That's what you want to see from Mm. a team that are down there fighting for survival. And obviously then actually having their chances and importantly, taking them that's the important part is when you're given those opportunities in front of goal especially against a team like Liverpool to actually take them and I think all three of their goals as different as they were were all brilliant in their own way Troy Deeney's finish at the end was just I mean he's Mr Watford isn't he 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 loves a skid on the pitch for a big (laughs) lad doesn't he
1: he he really does love that I remember him scoring in the second leg of that playoff game against uh, Leicester what would that have been, like six, seven years ago now? And um, I remember him jumping over the advertising hoarding, which was just in front of the, the press bit where we are. And after, you know, the knockout penalty was saved and Watford went up the other end and, and Deeney scored, which was one of the most sensational bits of football I've ever seen live. If you haven't seen it, YouTube, it. Watford 3 Leicester 1, it's, it's amazing. And Deeney sort of jumps over the advertising hoarding towards where his family are sat. And um, he just disappears. (laughs) And you think, oh my God, something something dreadful has happened to him. He's just disappeared. He was fine. Obviously, He's he's, he's the sort of guy that even if he did land like in a compromising position, he'd be, oh, I'm fine.
2: He'd be like, I'm "I'm absolutely fine.
1: Pretend he was fine, even if he wasn't. Well,
2: do you know what? Before the game, Jurgen Klopp said that it wasn't going to be an easy one. He's, you know, he said, Troy Deeney, the physicality of this Watford team, they're going to be tough for us and they're going to really put up a fight. And that's exactly what they did. They... Mm. They bullied Liverpool's defence. And I I think after the match, Troy Deeney actually said, um, you know, we targeted the weaker of the two centre-backs. And obviously he was talking about Dejan Lovren, who'd come into the side. Obviously, Gomez, (laughs) Gomez was obviously dropped for this. The thing is, though, is that I've been reading a few things and I think it would be cruel to actually blame... Liverpool's defeat purely on Dejan Lovren. I think if you look across the whole board of the the whole of that Liverpool team against Watford on Saturday, they just weren't at their best. I no. think like each yeah. and every I player agree. just wasn't at their best. So I think it's a bit cruel to just blame it on Dejan Lovren. But... From a Watford perspective, they did the right thing. Of course, you've got to, you've got to target someone in the team, and and you know picking on one of the centre backs that you think is weaker than the other, it was clever from them. Mm. And, I and just,
1: everyone's weaker than Virgil van
2: Dijk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just think that for Liverpool on the day, they weren't at their best. They didn't defend as well as they normally do. Their front three weren't in the game. It just goes to show that football really isn't as easy as some people say it is. They, you no. know, we, we talked earlier on in the season, Andy, about whether we thought Liverpool could go the whole season unbeaten. And we both sat here and said, yeah, they probably could. Mm. And now they've been beaten. And, and it's just one of those things that can now kind of be forgotten. And we can forget talking about those records. And yeah. l- like, despite what happened at the weekend, there's no arguing that Liverpool are having a sensational season and you know maybe this loss has coincided with a defeat in the Champions League a couple of weeks ago to Atletico then as well as losing Jordan Henderson who's been so key to them this season you know maybe it maybe it was coming I'm not so sure personally
1: yeah, I mean, the, the Atletico point's an interesting one because obviously that's a huge game coming up for them. Um, there was a bit that James Gearbrand wrote in The Times yesterday um, talking about uh, Jose Mourinho analysing Liverpool when he was still on the old rock and roll. And it says here, in October, during his residency in the Sky Sports TV studio, he suggested that Liverpool have some limitations against teams with low blocks. So teams who defend deep with an emphasis on compact shape rather than trying to win the ball back in midfield or advanced areas. James writes, the barb of a professional provocateur or a piece of lucid tactical insight. I think it's worth asking because the thing for me that was the question mark over Klopp when he arrived at Liverpool is actually exactly that. How would he deal with that? Because in his last season at Dortmund, so many teams got at them by just arriving uh, at Signal Aduna Park or Westfalen getting 11 men behind the ball and then just saying break us and then picking them off on 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 the counter and that was something that Klopp really struggled with now I think on the other hand that's something he's he's worked his way around brilliantly there's no doubt he's progressed enormously as a coach since he's been in not to devalue his work before he arrived in England but he's become a, a bigger and better coach since he's he, he's been in England um, but it is a question I think that that people will ask because Atletico play exactly the same way. And it's hard to see them playing any differently at Anfield than just sitting deep, isn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. And and, and I think one of the things that I noticed in the Watford game is that what we haven't seen from Liverpool that often this season is them kind of panicking on the ball, particularly in defensive areas. And that's one thing that they seem to do against Watford. Is and the I,
1: Jordan Henderson factor a biggie?
2: I think it could be. And and possibly Lovren coming into the team and that probably being fairly mm. unplanned because I don't know how soon before the game they knew about Gomez's injury. I, I'm mm. not sure about that. But I, I think that more so than this affecting Liverpool going forward because we know how great they can be. And I have no doubt that, in their next game, which is obviously in the FA Cup, they face Chelsea. I have no doubt that they're going to go into their next match and be the Liverpool that we've seen already this season. And Mm. and they're going to go on and they're going to win the title and potentially some other trophies this season. I think actually what's more interesting is to see whether what other teams have learnt from watching Watford this weekend. Because you look at the Premier League matches coming up for Liverpool, they face Bournemouth at Anfield next. Bournemouth also desperate for a win, desperate for points down at the bottom. I wonder whether they've taken anything from what Watford did to Liverpool at the weekend. They made them make errors, if that makes sense. They made them panic on the ball. It was was all about Watford for me and and how they played. And then after that, in the league, Liverpool then travelled to Goodison Park to face Everton in the Merseyside Derby. They then faced Crystal Palace. And just looking at the the other games coming up for them for the rest of the season, it's looking at the teams that are down there and whether they can get a result against Liverpool, whether they can take anything from Liverpool. And I think that a lot of teams can learn a lot from how Watford played this weekend.
1: For us, it's easy to explain. We were
0: not good enough tonight. And uh, tonight, um, and the, in the other games, we did we did much better. That's why we won them and didn't win them tonight. So, and you have to defend. It's not about in the, whatever run you have. For a run, you have to
1: So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on
0: linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together.
3: Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble.
1: Welcome back to Jules and Andy on Football Ramble Daily. Uh, We're delighted to announce that Football Ramble Daily has updated our Patreon offering. We've simplified the tiers, making it easier and cheaper to get involved.
2: Yeah, we have, as well as all the current benefits, including behind-the-scenes blogs and Marcus's bi-monthly Time videos. We've got two (laughs) new weekly podcast episodes exclusive to Patreon. And for just $5 a month, you can listen to our Ramble On series, full of the best bits from Football Ramble Daily that week, as well as all the the behind-the-scenes audio as well.
1: That is not all, Jules. That's not all. For $10 a month, you get access to all of that and weekly episodes of The Mailbag is back. So you can join Marcus and two on The Continent Guests every week as we answer all your questions. And you can send those questions to... OTC at com. Of course, you can always communicate with us on this show at Jules Breach at Andy Brassel or email us uh, Jules and Andy at FootballRambleDaily. We ask you to, we don't need to ask you to, you do anyway, but we're still asking you.
2: Yeah, we're going to get to some of your correspondence yeah. in a minute because as always, loads of you have been getting in touch. So you've heard about my weekend, which was uh, a slightly depressing leap year Saturday, watching uh, Brighton lose to Crystal Palace. Um, I spent the League Cup final at Wembley, which was a really good for fun seeing all the fans out in full force going to watch their teams um, but Andy you've had a much much busier weekend than me you were out in Germany tell me about it you took in four different matches
1: yeah I did um, I was staying in, in in Dusseldorf uh which was very nice indeed and first you went with Daddy
2: I've, Luke didn't you I
1: did first time I've really spent any proper time in in, in Dusseldorf and so um we went to Fortuna Dusseldorf against Herter on the Friday night, which was a three all draw. Our last game was a four all draw between Bochum and Sandhausen. Because the great thing when you go to Dusseldorf, there are so many clubs within such a stone's throw of each other, like 20, 30, 40 minutes apart. So you can get everywhere. So on Saturday, for example, Luke had never been to Dortmund before. He went to see Dortmund um, play Freiburg. Jane Sancho got the winner. Of course he did. Um, I went to two games. In Cologne, So I went to see Fortuna Köln, who are in fourth tier. Got soaked on an open terrace, good for the soul. (laughs) And um, then after that, I went to FC Köln against uh, Schalke. And they panelled them 3-0. It was really great, really great.
2: So much football to see.
1: But weirdly, after that, after coming back from Germany for the weekend, and I saw so many goals, as you've heard, no one's really asking about the football?
2: No, unfortunately not, because... I was in the studio on Saturday at BT Sports Score as usual. With
1: our pal Lars Sivertsen.
2: Yes, with Lars, who was absolutely delightful on the show and really good to have him on. And it was a good thing he was there because Mm. this story unfolded in Hoffenheim, which obviously no one saw coming. Maybe you could have foreseen it because there have been fan protests in Germany for quite some time, as far as Mm. what Lars was explaining to me on Saturday. But this story and how it unfolded was quite incredible. If you haven't seen what happened between Hoffenheim and Bayern Munich, please look it up because it was just insane. First of all, there were some fan protests, which then ended up with the players coming off the pitch. It almost looked like a racism protocol where the the, the players were taken off the pitch and were told to wait exactly. in the tunnel. Yeah. They then came back out onto the pitch and continued to run the clock down by just passing to each other did Bayern Munich win at 6-0 I lost track of the score yeah yeah. it was 6-0 and for the last say I think it was maybe the last 15 minutes wasn't it they just ran down the clock by passing to each other and no one scored any goals or anything but they just waited for the final whistle I
1: mean when the players are doing that that 15 minutes is an eternity
2: absolutely absolutely and I want to kind of get to the bottom of exactly what these protests were about Andy so explain to everyone because apparently these protests have been going on for quite some time in Germany now and it's to do with the financial aspect of how some football clubs are run?
1: Yeah. um, Clubs by and large in Germany have the 50 plus one rule, uh, which means that they remain member owned. Um, There are a few exceptions to this um, and those tend to be like the 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 ones that are factory teams. So Wolfsburg, which comes from Volkswagen, Bayer Leverkusen, which comes from the Bayer factory in in, in Leverkusen. So they're an exemption to this. Um, Of course, in recent years, we've had um, RB Leipzig. But before that came Hoffenheim. I mean, they've been in the top flight for over a decade now. Now, Dietmar Hopp there, um, president and owner, who um, is, is a software billionaire. He's 82 years old now. He's a local... And he played for Hoffenheim's youth team. They were basically a village team in the fifth division, piled loads of his own money in. They get to the top flight. They stay there. They qualify for Europe. They've played in the Champions League. They played Manchester City last season, of of, of course. And um, for that reason, German football and German football fans are very, very obsessed with the idea of tradition. And they think that this is not an organic way to run or own a club. And uh, there's a lot of sympathy for that, that view in Germany. And, uh, Dietmar Hopp has, has, has been a target for a long time, but why it's come up again recently is because after getting stuck into him, um, Dortmund That's fans, a nice way of putting it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dortmund fans were banned about 10 days ago, 10 11 days ago w- were banned from uh going away to Hoffenheim for the next two seasons. So th- the next two Hoffenheim Dortmund games next season and the season afterwards
2: aren't going to have any away no fans. No, away fans. Well, okay. they'll,
1: they'll, they'll find a way to sneak mm. in. But it's, it's not this, it's not the same. Anyway, um German ultras as a whole have reacted to this. So, um
2: that support all other clubs other than Hoffenheim.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So w- what caused it to kick off in the uh, Hoffenheim Bayern game at the weekend for example when Bayern were already heavily winning the Bayern fans in the corner got out a banner that said uh, Horenson, which means son of a whore um, is important because I mean it's a word that's used quite a lot just in the same that there are obscene chants from the, the, the terraces here in England or in any other country but because it's always been used I mean it didn't it didn't name Deep My Heart by actual name. The banner just said whore and so on, you Son of a whore. Um, but everyone knew who it was about because it's the word that has been used in all the protests about him before. Okay. So the Bayern players, as you said, reacted to that. They came across, um, but th- there are there are layers of annoyance to this. And actually, I've, I wrote about it in yesterday's Guardian. You can you can look it up. It's on my Twitter feed, or you can go to the Guardian Sport website. But that there, there are layers to this because this this protest is not just about Dietmar Hop. I mean, the, the Bayern fans released a statement, the, the Sudkurva Ultras released a statement saying, well, this is, it's not because it directly affects us. It's not because it's um, deep Hop. We've, we've not really got an issue with. It's about the fact that Ultras are being stopped from having a say and also the fact that the DFB, the German FA had said, there's going to be no collective punishment going forward. This is very much collective punishment. And almost all the games I went to at the weekend, other ultras stood up and uh, and, and said something. So it was a nationwide movement. So you had, um, when I went to Cologne, it was um, for Kon Schalke. The second half was, I think three, four minutes late starting because the Colonel Ultras in their suit curve had a banner out and the coach, the sporting director, the captain, loads of the players came over and said, look, you've got to pack that in. You know, we're going to get into trouble. Stop it. And I saw a similar thing at Bochum on the the Sunday. The interesting thing about both of those is there's no unanimous feeling, I don't think, between the fans because, for example, um, you had... um, some, some some fans were booing at Cologne and giving the finger to the ultras. Others were booing because they wanted the referee to get on with it. They don't think this um, anti-discrimination protocol of stopping the game should be applied for stuff that's not racism. And I have a great deal of sympathy for that because you had um, some racist abuse for a, a Herta player a couple of weeks ago, Jordan Toronariga, he got sent off for his reaction, and no one stopped the game, and and that really sticks in the craw. I mean, that's 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 the problem that a lot of people have with that. But you know, you, you saw this as well as I was saying at that the fact that there's no unanimous feeling, and you know, any effective fan protest, it's always about unity, isn't it? Yeah. And we'll, we'll we'll get into talking about that, won't we, with respect to what happened at West Ham, just down the road from you on 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 Saturday, um, but. In the um, Bochum end, where Jordi um, uh, tutu uh, a, a young player on loan to Bochum uh, from Arsenal, was scored a brilliant goal, actually. But after that, the game didn't restart for three or four minutes because the Bochum fans had a had a banner um, themed and aimed at Dietmar Hop as well. That's
2: another similar theme of the same sort.
1: Yeah, and, and basically, the Ultras wanted to have the banner up. Others were annoyed with them for having the banner up. And there, was, there was a bit of a fight. in in, in the or in the the home end and some stewards had to step in and and, and split it up and I think when you have so many fans and I think this particularly applies to England so many fans who have such a different um, uh, match day experience whether it be at home in the stadium they they live it to different intensities it's it's hard to find that that unity amongst fans and that's before we get to the point of you know how should they be expressing themselves and how far is too far?
2: Yeah, and it's an interesting question. Are fan protests okay? Do they even work? What's the purpose of them? Because as you say, Andy, unless there is complete unity amongst all the fans, is it actually going to make any difference? But you also can can kind of look at it in a different way in that every football club probably has... A different kind of percentage of fans that fit into different categories. So mm. you'll have the really hardcore, what you described in Germany, as like the ultra fans that su- that support a club, and they're the but ones. But they that, live it. But they live and breathe yeah. everything about their football club, and they're the ones that would particularly lead a protest, for example. Sure. Then you have the more dedicated section of fans, the ones that do have a season ticket, the ones that do go to both home and away games,
0: mm.
2: and then you have the more casual fan who still support the club just as much. They Mm. still love the club just as much, but they maybe don't get the chance to go to as many matches. They still support the team. They still watch the team. They'll probably go to a few matches a season. Some may not go to matches at all, but they're still a supporter of the club. And that is three very different types of football fan that all support the same club. And there are a lot of football fans that go to football at the weekend for a bit of escapism, for mm. a bit of enjoyment, just for the pure love of watching the game and watching their team play. They don't go there for protests or for politics, but they're uh, still supporters of the club. Yeah, that that
1: that is true. But I guess the thing is, if you have an ownership or you feel you have an ownership or directorship of your club that don't share those same altruistic motives, it's it's not going to lead into a good place. So the the idea of just saying yeah I don't come here for politics and completely divorcing yourself from that I I think is unbelievable because you know everything is political life mm-hmm. is political mm-hmm. you know there, there's no stepping away from it everything uh, as as you experience it as a fan from how much they charge to get in to whether they charge you a booking fee or not if if you're a member yeah. to how much the burgers are to how much the pints are to how comfortable your seat is. Everything it's it's all political, and you know you can't help but be involved as a as a match going fan. I, I think you've you've automatically got a stake in it.
2: And the difference is whether you then take part in a protest or not, and that's kind of where it sometimes divides fans. I, I
1: suppose that's the difference between British culture and non-British culture, because the British aren't a revolutionary people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like very, very much of how we approach things as a society is, oh, that's terrible and then you don't do anything about it. You know, I mean we've we've talked about the 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 German ultras and their very direct way of 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 dealing with things. Now, whatever you think about what happened this weekend, in other ways that's worked really well. I mean, they've been protesting about Monday night football because people want a night off from football. They don't want obviously it's very culturally entrenched here Monday night football, but people think it's wrong to have to take one and possibly two days off work if you're if you're an away fan how do you get back all, all all of that sort of stuff and when Eintracht Frankfurt last played on a monday um so that that would have been yeah 8 days ago so a week ago yesterday um none of none of the fans behind the goal turned up they they just had a big banner in this empty stand that said monday with a big red cross through it, like, you know what, like a road can, sign. If you which can get was,
2: that to work, then that's, yeah, that's, that's brilliant in terms was of a protest. Ex-
1: exactly, which was not mean, not offensive to anyone, but really smart, I thought. And the thing is, and I think what fans here don't realise and maybe are starting to realise now with what's brewing at West Ham and obviously their a lot of their problem is directly related to the match they experienced and directly related to the fact that they are not happy with with, with where they play and, and and you know what they get for that and the, the, the dream they've been sold that I guess hasn't turned out as, as, as a lot would have hoped or expected. But I think you've got that and you've got what's happening at Newcastle United where they've had to give away all those season tickets. I think sometimes football fans here in England have absolutely no idea how powerful they are, how potentially powerful they are. Because the fact is, yeah, we do... Um, enjoy what what is a a TV-driven sport in terms of schedule, in terms of financing, all that sort of stuff. But just as the game needs television, television football needs the fans.
2: It does, because it looks terrible when the the stands are empty.
1: Can you imagine if a game at the Amex, say, take a small number, like 3,000 people who all sat in the same place didn't turn up it. Oh, bit behind the goal. it would you know look, what? It would look rancid.
2: Yeah, if the North Stand was empty at the Amex, you'd be able to tell. Yeah. Not just for yeah. the noise, but it would just look dreadful on the telly as well. It just, yeah. yeah. St- you know, stadiums are there to be filled. You want to yeah. see them full of the fans. and,
1: and You want to feel that intensity. It absolutely. adds to the drama of it, doesn't it?
2: It really does. And I think that um, one of the interesting things that I, I was reading quite a lot about the West Ham protest from the weekend. And I think that, I don't know if you saw it, Andy, but there was quite a bit of backlash at Carlton Cole who obviously no, is a West Ham legend and he he kind of put a, he put a bit of a statement out on Twitter just saying that um he was unsure about the protests and mm. he he wasn't particularly happy about them and he he was basically encouraging the fans that staged the protests to go to the London Stadium and support the team and i think that the interesting point is that you can protest and also support the team They're they're completely different things, in my opinion. Yes, of course, there's a protest before the match, but actually, as soon as the match kicks off, if you're then still supporting the team, they can be two completely different things. Yeah,
1: you're you're disagreeing with the club. Yeah, You're you're not disagreeing with the team. I think you can be at odds with the club and, and, and still support the team. And... You know what? I I know I can understand it from a player's perspective. You know, they're locked in and the be all and end all is getting the best possible conditions for them to go out there and get the best result they can for the club. I understand that is what they are paid for. That is not a fan's purpose. A fan's purpose is not to uncritically accept anything. Now, of course, it doesn't work like any other business, like any other consumer relationship, because you're not going to, be a West Ham fan and say, oh, bollocks, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm going to go and support Fulham. And and, and the the club know that. And clubs, football clubs habitually have taken advantage of that. And you can understand why they have taken advantage of that because they're able to in a way that no other business is, is able to do. But being a supporter of a club is always about wanting the best for your club. And if wanting the best for your club is wanting better more more transparent directorship um cheaper tickets um better conditions in the stadium better provisions for young people pensioners disabled people you owe it to yourself to and you owe it to your club i think to 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 make that effort where you can emails, and of course you can... <laughs> I
2: wasn't expecting a little sing-song there, Andy. <laughs> we not. Well, we what still are... haven't got a jingle, have we? Uh,
1: look, Donaldson, sort it out, man. Come on,
2: Pete. You know, Jules, that, Jules
1: doesn't like my half jingle. <laughs> I think I could tell that by the look on her face. Anyway, you can email us at
2: Emails! No, Jules and Andy at footballrambledaily.com. That's the email address.
1: Yeah, you can. Of course, loads of people were emailing about uh, VAR. Have we decided whether we're officially VAR or VAR?
2: I say VAR. Do you? I don't like VAR.
1: It's much more effective for puns.
2: Mm, it's
1: very effective.
2: Very effective. Very good.
1: Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to apologise. Um, so, yeah, quite a few people have uh, got in touch about that. Um, Stephen Jewell has said, uh, hi, first time emailer, enjoying the show. I just wanted to weigh in with a long held concern. I've had about one particular aspect of, of and hear what your thoughts on that may be. Now he talks about the Harry Wilson incident. Um, and
2: from a couple of weeks ago, where, where
1: where he scored, but it got taken back Mm. to the Burnley penalty. Um, Here's the thing: What would happen if, at the very end of a game, the very te- end, the uh, very end, <laughs> 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 this is a blind alley. A <laughs> uh, team were to, for example, have a decision along the lines of a penalty to be looked at by VAR, and the game plays on. And some ninety seconds later, the ref blows for full time with no justification, for playing longer. So team A celebrates a win, draw, um, uh, and then finally, the decision comes from VAR that it was a uh, penalty to team B. Presumably, the game will then go back to giving. Said pen, they score, and then what happens?
2: Do you know what I, th- I think? Something similar to this has actually happened before. Maybe in Germany, you might be able to correct me on that, Andy. Where it was, but it was at half time.
1: That's the one, yeah. That, yes, where where, so. where they've all gone off the pitch. Yeah. It was at Mainz, and they got given a penalty by VAR. So the taker and the goalkeeper come back out. There's no need for anyone else. I mean, the other players come out, but they're not really needed. What if it was
2: saved and they could get the rebound?
1: Well, no, because that is the last kick of the half.
2: Oh, right. Okay. Well, still.
1: Honestly, I've seen some goals disallowed. right. I remember David Platt scoring an overhead kick at Stamford Bridge when he was playing for Aston Villa and the referee blew up mid-air as the ball left his foot.
2: Oh, shut up.
1: So when he kicked it, the game's still going on. (laughs) But when it, cross the line the game had already like gone for half time
2: did it not not stand no it didn't stand that's an absolute joke
1: it didn't stand you're absolutely
2: fuming Marcus
1: Marcus Gale got a goal taken off him uh, for Wimbledon against Wrexham for the same thing so when the corner comes in the game's still alive but by the time it hits his head and goes in the back of the net, the game's over.
2: Mate, I'm claiming that all day long. I'm knee yes. sliding, I'm celebrating and I'm like, you are giving me that goal. Yeah. Damn a, it. A, a,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so this this kind mm. of thing could, it could happen. happen. Yep. And you know what, if it's, if it's right, it's right. I mean, I, I don't buy it for, for all my issues with it as um, we've, we've gone over last week at great length. You can't say, oh, well, too much has happened. You know, if if the game's not stopped, I think you've you've got to you've got to go with the original decision, right?
2: Yeah, I think so. Mm. Yeah, I think mm. that makes sense. it would just be harsh if it gets to one of the last games of the season, and for example, Bournemouth might think that they've won a game, and then all of a sudden it gets pulled back, and there's oh no. There's a chance for a penalty for the other team, and they equalise, and it sends them down. That's yeah. the kind of you don't even want to imagine that that's going to happen, Bournemouth fans. Sorry about putting that idea into your head, but it sucks. But it happens. It very I,
1: could I, well happen. I, I, I mean, it? this 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 sort of thing happens. Do you remember Scarborough celebrating because they they thought they would stayed up? They thought they'd stayed up in League Two. I and don't their, know fa- that. their fans were on the pitch celebrating. Oh, no. And then they got the result from the other game. That, that, that's oh, don't celebrate that too
2: early. That's your own fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. That's what happens when you uh, rely on terrorist transistor radios, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got a load of other ones about it. Um, Ed Charland, hello, Ed, has um, sent one in. Um, that he thinks is uh, will improve offsides. He thinks it's better than our sense, but will let us be the judge. And so he's introducing an allowable margin, so 150 millimetres or six inches. Um, the point is, if we're starting uh, from a distance of 150 millimetres beyond um, the defender, it would be cut and dry if they're offside. If it was marginal, um, whether it was... Um, 150 millimeters. You, you give it off, then there is no debate. Essentially, it comes back to the clear and obvious thing. I I tend to think that just moves it down. And the, also, the how line. do they
2: decide? That's the thing. Like, who's going to decide what that margin should be? I th- I, I understand what what,
1: I mean? what what Ed's saying. Yeah, I do. Yeah. E- even though it's difficult, it gives more benefit of the doubt to the attacker. That's that's the bit that's been lost from it with yeah. VAR. That there's no benefit of the doubt to the attacker. So level is pretty much off isn't it at the moment Mm, because there'll probably be one little bit of you also Ed does butter us up by saying uh, on another note I have allegiances to both Brighton and Wimbledon having gone to uni in Brighton and now living a stone's throw from the emerging Plough Lane development the
2: question is Ed did you go to the University of Sussex or to the University of Brighton because I cannot be your friend if you went to the University of Brighton Jules you said that in an (laughs) utterly frightening voice I am only joking and for that reason I think we should wrap up (laughs) it's time to go. For, for this week. Remember, you can
1: get in touch with us at Jules Breach, at Andy Brassel, Jules and Andy at FootballRambleDaily.com. We'll see you next Tuesday.
0: Bye!
3: This was a Stakanov Production.